Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. All right, if you need a Bible this morning, wave at one of our ushers. They have one, and they'd be happy to pass a Bible to you in case you left one at home or in the car. Turn over to Psalm 23. We're going to continue in this series in the book of Psalms, seeing Christ in the chaos of life. And um, last week, we looked at Psalm 22, and I'm not just going chronologically in order, but I think there's a significance to the order that the Lord put here. He puts the Psalm of the cross, Psalm 22, and then immediately after the cross and the suffering of the cross and all that's involved in that, then he goes to Psalm 23. The title of, of today's particular message is from Savior to Shepherd. From Savior to Shepherd. Can I tell you what was true in my life for many, many years as a believer? I knew Jesus as my Savior, but I didn't know him as a shepherd. And all what I want for you today, what I want for me, what I want for all of us, and every person I meet, is to grow in this experience of Jesus as my shepherd, not just my Savior. Now, as we're looking at this, Psalm 23 is probably the most famous psalm in all of the book. Psalm 23 is the one that most people know. Um, I started doing a Google search the other day, and I typed in Psalm, and 23 popped up first at the top of the list, all right? It went there before the others. It is totally different in its sound and its and just the spirit of it than Psalm 22. I mean, there's this huge switch that has taken place from Psalm 22 where you have the sufferer and the one who, is, who we know is Jesus dying for us and being raised again, resurrected. And then you get to Psalm 23 and you begin to see what that looks like. Because Jesus said in John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Right? He does that. But he laid down his life for the sheep. Then he rose again so that he could be our shepherd. So that he could minister to us in a way that we, I think, sometimes fail to realize is even possible. We're going to look at that as we go through this psalm. There's only six verses in it. And years ago, as a matter of fact, 26 years ago, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, I actually roomed with him for a while, he gave me a book. The reason I know that is because he wrote it in the front of it and he dated it. That's the only reason I would remember it was 26 years ago. But he gave me this book. It was a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. How many of you have ever read that book? There's a number of you, all right? A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. If you haven't read it, I do recommend it. Um, it's, it's, a great, um, it's a great... Philip Keller was not... He's not a pastor. He was kind of a lay pastor. He spoke... But he wasn't a pastor, he wasn't a theologian, he was actually a rancher and scientist. But he'd spent a lot of years around shepherds and also being a shepherd himself. And so as he goes through Psalm 23, he gives insights into it that are rich, that help us understand a little bit more of what the Lord wants us to see and who Jesus is and how he ministers to you and me. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to kind of walk through this chapter together. And I'm going to show you some things. And then I was praying last night, as a matter of fact... I couldn't sleep last night, and, and so I was, I was crying out. I was like, Lord, where do you want this to go? I mean, I kind of know the content of this message, but where do you want us to end? Where do you want it to go? And I believe the Lord spoke that this morning. So we're going to walk through this, and I can't wait to get to the end, all right? Psalm 1, the Lord 
is my, excuse me, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Lord, there is Yahweh. All right? This is the first time this name appears of God. It is with Moses in the burning bush when God says, I am that I am. All right? Jesus repeats this. As a matter of fact, it makes the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it made them very upset when he quoted this and said, I am that I am. Because Jesus is, I am. He is God. The Lord, Yahweh, I am that I am, is my shepherd. Jesus already said, we talked about this in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life. So the picture here as we go through this, when you say, who's the Lord? Who is my shepherd? Jesus is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. If I know him, if I'm in relationship with him, I've believed on him. He is my shepherd. Now, because of this revelation, David writes, I shall not want. I will not want. That is an interesting phrase. And you look at it and you think, how in the world do you interpret that? Does that mean that I never have any wants? That because Jesus is my shepherd, I don't want anything? We wish that were true, don't we? It'd be nice if I never wanted anything. If I was simply completely content and satisfied with Jesus and him alone. The problem is, is that's not the case. That wasn't even the case with David. David had wants. He had needs. He experienced things. He experienced want. He experienced lack. He experienced hunger and, and deprivation. He experienced being cold and being sought after and Saul trying to kill him and others trying, sometimes his own family trying to kill him. He experienced all kinds of want, all kinds of need. So he's not saying that because the Lord is my shepherd, I don't have any need. So what is he saying? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you begin to ask the Lord this, and then you'll, you can read different things, and what do different people think when they come to this? And you get all kinds of answers, and it's like, Lord, what does this really mean? And the Lord spoke so clearly to my heart, and he said, Troy, if I'm your shepherd, you don't want another. You don't want another doesn't mean I don't have wants. It doesn't mean I don't have needs. I do. And so will you. I mean, this idea of I'm following Jesus and so I never have need, I never have lack, I never have want, it's just not consistent with his word, not all of his word. As a matter of fact, as I go through the New Testament, the New Testament tells me that as a follower of Jesus, I am going to have trouble. I am going to suffer. I am going to be misunderstood. I am, as a matter of fact, Jesus' very first message, he talked about the fact you're going to be persecuted if you follow me. You're going to have things that cause you to mourn in this life, cause you to weep, to cause you to be sad. This is part of the Christian experience. But what the psalmist is saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, I don't want another. I don't want any other shepherd. I want this one. Why would he say that? He's going to take the rest of the chapter and explain why he says that. So look with me as it goes on. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, interesting, the verb here literally is he's making me because sheep, sheep are interesting critters. They really are. Um, they are not easy livestock to keep. Matter of fact, maybe the most difficult livestock 
to keep. You think, oh, you just put them out there and you let them eat because they'll eat just about anything and, and you just let them go. But that is not true. Sheep require constant care, constant oversight. They need guidance. They need to be taken to the right places. And here he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The thing about sheep, and I discovered this in, in reading, that sheep need four things to be true for them to be able to be restful and to be able to eat and to be able to be at peace and, and grow and flourish and produce milk and all the things that they're supposed to do. Get wool and all the things that sheep do. These four things have to be true. Number one, they have to be free of fear of an enemy. They're, they're afraid of everything. You know, a little dog that comes along, a lion, a person. It doesn't matter what it is, their own shadow. Sheep are naturally fearful animals. And they're easily startled. And when they're startled, they run about and they, and, and they get all upset and they're out of balance. And so they don't produce well. They don't grow well. They, they, they get scrawny and, and sickly and all these different things. They have to have a place where there isn't a fear of enemies, where they feel protected. So what is David saying? He's saying, my shepherd creates an environment for me where I don't have to worry about my enemy. He's greater than my enemy. I'm safe there. They also have to have a place where they're free from jockeying for position. Sheep, like any other species of animal, most species, they have a pecking order, and they jockey for position, kind of like human beings. I want to know where I fit. I want to know where my place is. And if somebody comes along and steps on where my place is, well, now I feel insecure. Where do I fit into all this? And so there's this jockeying, and you see it among sheep, and they'll, they'll butt one another, they'll fight with one another. The shepherd comes in. You know the greatest way, and it was interesting as I was reading about this, you know the greatest way to deal with this jockeying for position among the sheep. The most effective way is for the shepherd to be in their presence because when the shepherd's in their presence, they stop doing that. That has application for you and me, doesn't it? See, in Jesus and in his presence, I know who I am. I know where I fit. I don't have to wrestle with you or with someone else as to my place or my position or my significance because in him I know who, where I fit into all of this. He brings about a sense of, you're okay, I love you. You don't have to be somebody else. You don't have to measure up to a different standard. You just have to be what I've called you to be. There's a third thing that you have to do with these sheep so they'll lie down. They are pestered by insects and, and typically flies that will land in the nasal passages. And they, will, they try to and lay their, their legs and they create larvae and it gets up into their nasal. And it's, it, not only does it sound nasty, it's very devastating for the sheep, all right? And so they have to, the shepherd has to, to be constantly alert to that and to treat the sheep so that these insects, these pests, these irritations... Don't get them worked into such a frenzy. I'm told that sheep, when they have these, these larvae that get in their noses and their nasal passages, they will go crazy beating their head against trees or rocks or anything, just trying to relieve this pressure and this, this pain, this irritation. So the shepherd is the one who deals with that. And we're going to talk more about how he does it later on in the psalm because it comes up again. But he does that for them just the same way that Jesus does it for you and me to deal with these irritations. How many of you have irritations in your life? All right? How many of your irritations in the room? No, don't answer that. All right? <laughs> don't answer that, okay? The Lord has to do this for us. 
Okay? The last one is there has to be this lack of fear of hunger. A sheep needs, if, if a sheep doesn't have sufficient place, a, a proper place to get grass to forage, if they're constantly moving about and getting a little scanty meal here and there, but they're never, there is this anxiety, this lack of peace. And so they can't rest. They don't flourish in that environment. They need to know my shepherd leads me to places. Thus, it says he leads me to green pastures. He leads me to a place where he's going to provide for my need. He's going to do that. These things have to be in place for the sheep. Each of these have great application for you and me as believers in our shepherd. He leads me. Now, I want you to notice to the contrast here. He makes me lie down, and then he leads me. There's two things that are happening. Remember Mary and Martha in the New Testament? Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha was busy doing all these kind of things. I want you to understand something, and you need to get this truth. Jesus, when he tells this story, he lays out a truth for us that's very important to see, that in the same house you had Mary and Martha, in the same house. You had the sitting at Jesus' feet and the scurrying about busy doing this and that. I'm telling you that in your life and my life in the same house, you're going to have both. And it is the shepherd that comes along and helps you make sense of which one is appropriate at which time. He does that. In this, he makes them lie down when they need to lie down. And when they need to move on, he leads them. But you have both. See, we keep saying, well, I want to be Mary. I don't want to be Martha. No, there's a time to be Mary and there's a time to be Martha. There's time for both. But it's the shepherd who interprets, not you and me, because we'll get it wrong every time. We will we'll be busy when we should lie down, and we'll be lying down when we should be busy. So the shepherd interprets all that. He leads me beside still waters. Somewhere along the way, I heard somebody say, sheep have to have perfectly still water because they're fearful or they won't drink. And then I got to do some research and found that's not necessarily true. They'll drink from a stream. They'll drink from moving water. So what does it mean when it says, the Hebrew word here means literally restful, peaceful water, a restful place. Sheep drink, and we see this in Scripture, they get their water, and they need it, they need water, but they get it primarily in three ways. They'll get it from wells. Remember the story of, okay, now I'm not trying to remember if it was Rebecca or Rachel. All right, but one of them came with sheep, and they had to, someone had to remove the stone and get water. But that was because it came out of wells. I'm trying to remember which one of them came with sheep. But anyway, you know the story. It's there in the Old Testament. They came, and they removed the, the stone, and then they drew water out of this well for the sheep. Now, this is labor-intensive, but this is one of the ways, especially when you, you go in the Middle East, one of the ways that sheep are provided for. Their, their, their um, water is provided for them. So you go into this well and you pull it out. That can be part of this still water, this deep water that's pulled up. They can drink from streams and rivers and things. As long as they're not raging, they can drink from those as well. But do you know the primary way that sheep get water and moisture? The primary way that happens is the dew that's on the grass that they eat early in the morning. When it's heavy with dew, the shepherd often will lead them out into these pastures. Or he will have put them there in the, in the night before. And so in the morning when there's this heavy dew, you'll see them just before dawn. They're eating. They're eating the grass. And it's got, it's got moisture. It's got dew all over it. Just pure water. And they're eating it and they're taking that moisture in. There's an incredible picture in that, isn't it? That when God feeds us, when he speaks to us, 
the moisture that comes, the, the refreshment that comes when he speaks to us. And can I say this? I, I've said it repeatedly. I will keep on saying it so that hopefully it comes across clearly. That when he speaks to me, he speaks to me through his written word and he speaks to me through his spoken word. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, the written word's easy to see. It's, it's in the Bible. It's written for us. And he will speak through that. And he will never speak in contradiction to it. But I'll tell you where the greatest refreshment often comes in my life is when he takes the written word and he speaks in agreement with that, but he speaks the spoken word into my heart and life. That's where refreshment comes. That's where nourishment comes. When I'm listening, and can I challenge you? Be listening for the shepherd's voice. Every day, throughout the day, be listening for him to speak because he's going to. I told you last night, I, I couldn't sleep because I didn't know where to go with this message. I didn't know exactly where to end it and where we were supposed to be. And so I'm laying, it's like, Lord, I don't know what to do with all this. And then I began to feel fretful and it's like, Lord, you, you got to give direction. I'm not sure. And nothing's coming and, and I'm just laying there. And, and finally, after several hours of this, it was like... Again, I just heard his voice like, Troy, how many times in the past have you been right here? I thought, Lord, I can't count. I mean, does hundreds probably, where I've been right in this situation where something is happening in the next few hours or the next day, and I don't know exactly what to do with it or where it's going. I said, Lord, hundreds of times. And he's like, and what did I do in each of those? I thought, Lord, you were faithful in every one of them. Every single one of them, you demonstrated your power. You gave, you gave direction. You spoke. He's like, why would this one be any different? Why would it be any different? You say, does God talk that way? Yeah, he does. I didn't hear an audible voice. Just thoughts that he gave. You say, well, are you sure it's God? Well, can you tell me any reason why Satan would want to encourage me in the middle of the night so that I would go to sleep? Can you give me any reason why he would want to do that? Why he would want to speak anything to my heart that would make me feel better and not worse? No, he's my enemy. He wants to destroy me. See, as, I, as the Lord spoke that to my heart, and there was a peace like, okay, Lord, I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to trust you. And the amazing thing is, time after time, as you do that, the Lord does speak. He gives direction. His word becomes this refreshing, nourishing, this water to my system. Do you know sheep are 70% water? It's it's amazing the correlation. You and I are 87% water. We require water to live. You can go for quite a while without food. I mean, opinions vary on that. But we're told you can go quite a while without food. All right? But you can't go very long, two or three days at the most, without water. Everything begins to shut down. Sheep are the same way. And in the provision that Jesus makes for you and me, he brings about the water that we have to have that sustains life. He restores my soul. Why would sheep who have this great shepherd who caused them to lie down in green pastures and he provides for their needs and he deals with their fears and their insecurities, why would they need restoration of soul? Well, I love the picture in this. And again, this is where I'm grateful that God brings along people who actually know something about sheep. My family member were ranchers and all, but not sheep, cattle. Cows and sheep are very, very different. Um, Not even close or similar in many ways. 
And so I understand cattle. Don't understand sheep. But do you remember in several times in Psalms, Psalm 42 is one example, where David would talk to himself and he'd say, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why, my soul, why are you so disquieted? with? Why are you so worked up? Why are you so in turmoil and all? But he would literally use the word, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. You shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. But hope in him. And so he's talking to himself. Do you know what happens to a sheep often? I shouldn't say often. Some sheep are more prone to it than others. But, it, but it's not uncommon for a sheep to sit down where the master, where the shepherd causes them to lie down in green pastures and they're just they're at rest and they're eating and they're having a good time. But if they happen to lie down in an area where the ground's just a little bit uneven, it's not uncommon for sheep begin to roll over. All right? Now, they're pudgy little creatures with short legs, okay? And so as they start to roll over, they know this is not good, all right? And so they start kicking their little legs, which usually causes and makes the situation worse, all right? And they end up like that, okay? Over on their back. Now, that though it's funny to look at, is very, very dangerous, okay? For a sheep, the gases begin to build up in their stomachs, okay? And, and they begin to bloat. It cuts off circulation to their legs and different things. And left in this position, depending on climate conditions, it, they may die within a few hours or a few days, depending on the conditions. But if someone, if the shepherd doesn't come and find them and turn them back over, they'll die like that. In the midst of the green pasture, where they've got plenty to eat, they will have rolled over and they will die. Do you know what this is called when they roll over like this? Cast. Casting. And David says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why have you rolled over and about to die here in the midst of all of this? The shepherd comes along because an observant shepherd, a good shepherd, recognizes, hey, I'm missing. He knows his sheep. He knows them by name. I'm missing a sheep. I need to go look for them. Something may have happened. There may be an animal. Or they may simply have, in the place that I put them, rolled over, been cast down, been discouraged, overwhelmed. And if left there, they'll die in that place. He restores our soul. He rights the ship. He brings it back up. It goes on. Notice the rest of this verse. He says, he restores my soul. He leads me. Or no. Yes, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. I want you to see that picture that's underneath that. Those sheep, can you see the ground and the land around it? It looks pretty bare, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, about all you see is some straw or some type of grass or hay that looks like has been put out there for them. Aside from that, you don't see a thing there. You know why? Because sheep left to themselves will simply destroy a piece of land. Goats are the same way. If you leave them to themselves, you think, oh, I'll just put them out there, they'll eat, they'll be fine. No. If a shepherd's not wise about moving them from place to place and, and providing for them and, and, and watching, that sheep will literally eat the grass all the way to the root and then they'll dig the root up out of the ground, literally destroy it. There are miles and miles, hundreds, thousands of miles around the world 
of land where it literally has been destroyed. Erosion has just blown off all the topsoil because shepherds were unwise with their sheep or with their goats, and they literally destroyed the land. When the Scripture says he leads us in paths of righteousness, in other words, he leads us into what he knows to be right for us, not what we think is right. If he doesn't do that, we will keep going around in the same place, creating these ruts, eating up all the provision that's here, and pretty soon we'll be stuck here and think, wait a second, there's nothing here. There's no provision for me here. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He does it too, I noticed, for his name's sake. Not just for us. We benefit from it. It's for our good. It's for his name. We wear his name, which is another reason why I should never doubt his commitment to me. Do you realize that Jesus is my good shepherd, not because of my commitment to him, but because of his commitment to me? I wear his name. So do you. As a matter of fact, the scripture says he's given me a name, and he's written it out. I can't wait to find out what name he gave me. I know what name my parents gave me, but I want to know what name he gave me. He knows me by name. Goes on, the next slide. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's a picture here because it's not uncommon. Most of the time, many places where sheep, are, where you have sheep and ranches and, and, and they flourish, it's not always true, but in many cases, it's in semi arid, dry climates. And so what often happens in the summertime is that the sheep have been down low in lower elevations with the shepherd close to home in their corrals and dens and fields and things that are all part of the home ranch. But as summer comes on, the shepherd will often move the sheep to another pasture, to another field. He'll go with them. He'll stay with them because at times they may be many miles away from their home. And as he leads them there, they're not as protected. They're not within the fold like they were back at home. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, where he's leading me to feed me, and he's with me, but all around me appear to be these dangers. They don't just appear to be, there are dangers. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because he's leading me, and his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Now you see that shepherd walking there. He has that long stick long pole that has the crook in the end. That's what we normally see and associate as the staff. But it says the rod and the staff, two different instruments here. The staff was used often to reach out and to grab a sheep and to kind of pull them back in close, closer to proximity with the other sheep and with the shepherd. It was not used as punishment. It was used to pull them back in. It was used if they got stuck in a place, and for example, down in between two rocks, down in a crevice, Shepherd could reach down in there and use the staff and the crook in that staff to pull them up out of there. His staff was used as a picture of restoring relationship, bringing us into relationship, comforting us that way. His rod, a rod was something that they made, and many of them, if you look at pictures, many of them would have this ball. It's made out of wood. It had this ball on the end. If you can picture it in your mind, and it's bigger here and tapers down so it fits their hand. And it's yay long, you know, three feet. Depending on size, you would make it to yourself, but say three feet or so, three or four feet. It was a great weapon, a great club. It was heavy. 
and they would become experts at using it to fend off predators, those that would attack the sheep. They even would practice, as I'm told, young shepherd boys would practice throwing it. They could use it as a weapon and actually throw it with great accuracy to be able to hit an animal. The rod was there for protection. It was also used in Scripture for those as a symbol of their authority. It was a symbol of who they were. So what is the sheep saying? He's saying, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what's going on around me, I am not afraid. Why? Because of the power of my shepherd in protecting me and because of the care in which he comforts me and draws me in and keeps me close. I'm not afraid. I have no reason to be afraid. Look at the next one with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. There's a progression in this psalm. See, they're moving from the home, the farm at home, up into these higher elevations, up into this, these fresh fields. And what is he saying? We get up here, and there's grass there. The summertime, there's grass. There's plenty to eat. The shepherd's there with me. He laid out this table before me, even in the presence of my enemy, even with everything else that's going on around me. He prepares for me. He feeds me. He takes care of me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now notice what it says here next. You anoint my head with oil. I think that's what it says next in the next one. You anoint my head with oil? Yes. My cup overflows. Remember I told you a while ago about those pesty flies, those insects? So the shepherd, to deal with that, would anoint the sheep. He'd have this mixture Different shepherds had different mixtures, but it had the purpose of it, putting on their head, to help deal with these insects so that they couldn't get in their nasal passages. They wouldn't pester them so much. They'd leave them alone. It's, it, was, it was off 2,000 years ago, all right? It's what it, was. it was insect repellent in many ways, and it, it also had a, a medicinal healing property. If they already had bites and different things, then it would bring healing to that. It anoints my head with oil. What is oil a picture of in the scripture? The Holy Spirit. When Jesus left, he said, I'm going, but I'm going to send someone to do what? To comfort, right? Matter of fact, we call him the comforter. He says, I'm going to pour him out. In John 11, he says that if you're in need, as a matter of fact, he said, if a child is in need and he comes to his father and says, hey, I'm hungry, he says, does a child give him a snake or a scorpion? No, he gives him bread, he gives him food, he cares for him. He says, if you being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? In John 7, he says that out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And he said this speaking what? Of the Holy Spirit. There is this picture here of the shepherd, this outpouring, this comfort, this healing, this Relief that he pours out over the sheep. Can I tell you that as a believer, for many, many years, I just didn't see this or believe it. I knew the Holy Spirit was in me, but I didn't realize on a daily basis throughout that day the ability that I had to come to the Lord and say, Jesus, pour out your Spirit on me. Fill me. Overflow. You say, wait a second, he's already in you. What is this pouring out? Okay. Yes, he's already in me. But the scripture uses at least six terms that I can find when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And this pouring out or anointing is one of them. 
He does this. He also fills. He baptizes. I mean, there, there are all these different terms that are used, at least six different ones that I can find in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. And this idea in Ephesians 5, where Paul says, keep on keeping on. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. This continuous present action that's going on. Don't stop being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't stop asking, Jesus, you said you were sending the comforter. You did. He's in me. But keep pouring him out, filling my life, dealing with these irritations in me. Dealing with these these afflictions that I have, dealing with all this, Lord, I need the power of your Spirit at work in me and around me and on me. Somebody says, you know, shouldn't you just say it this way? You know what? I've gotten in my prayer. I don't don't want to get caught up in semantics of all that. I pray for it all. Lord, put in me, fill me, on me, baptize me, anoint me. Whatever the Holy Spirit does, I want it. All right? I want it. You say, but aren't you afraid that the devil will come in and you'll get something bad? No! I'm not. First of all, if I'm crying out to Jesus, the devil's not around. All right? Because he doesn't hang out where Jesus is demonstrating his power. I don't worry about the enemy coming in. Why? Because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Can you imagine your good shepherd seeing you on your knees saying, Oh, Lord, I want the Holy Spirit working in me in power. And I want him to do what he does and, and then your good shepherd said, ah, oh, he's praying for a spirit. Let's send him an evil one, all right? Let's let the devil go get him. Can you see your good shepherd doing that? No. But see, the enemy has tricked us in this. He's caused us to run away from the very thing that God says, I've set it up this way for you. The power that you need. Ephesians 3. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, even imagine. How does he do it? According to the power that is at work within us. What power is he talking about? The Holy Spirit, who just hasn't been often called upon, released in our life, believed, sought after. You say, but Troy, I was taught things, and I'm afraid I was taught those same things. And I tell you now in my journey with the Lord over these years, that when I've come before the Lord and asked Him for a good gift, He has not given me a snake. He's not given me a scorpion. It's not who He is. It's not in His character. Are there, are there demonic spirits? Is the enemy real? Absolutely. He is absolutely real. But when I'm seeking the Lord, when I'm calling on Him, when I'm believing in His name and I'm asking Him for His good gifts, I don't worry about the enemy. My shepherd's a good shepherd. And he can beat him up. He can beat him up. Remember when you were a kid, my dad can beat your dad? You remember that? My dad can whoop your dad. My shepherd can whoop everybody. All right? He can whoop everybody. Not even a problem for him. Not even a challenge. Surely, oh, my cup overflows. And I'm going to come back to that one in a minute. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love the end of this psalm because it says, I'm going to dwell in his house. Literally, the same Hebrew word is used for the house of Aaron, the house of Moses. He says, I'm going to dwell in his family. I'm part of his family forever. I'm part of his family now. I will be part of his family when I'm gone, when I'm dead. When I really won't be dead, I will just have been 
transformed. But I'll be part of his family then, but I'm part of his family now all the days of my life. And he says, because of that, there is no doubt in my mind that goodness and mercy follows me because I'm part of his family. We do things for family we wouldn't do for anybody else. Of course, sometimes we do things to family we wouldn't do to anybody else either, but that's a, that's a whole other story. That's a different message for a different day. Um, I'm part of his family. His cup runs over. My cup runs over. I was asking the Lord about that. Lord, what does all that mean? My cup runs over. And I don't know, maybe it was because of Psalm 22. Come play. Um, maybe it was because of Psalm 22. And I was thinking about the crucifixion. And in Gethsemane, Jesus said, Lord, would you let this cup pass from me? If there's any way, Father, that I don't have to drink this cup, that I don't have to take this in, could we go that way? And then he immediately falls up, nevertheless, no, it's not my will, Father. Whatever you want, it's your will. And he takes the cup and he drinks it. He takes all that's in that, all the sin of man, all the guilt, all the shame of yours and mine. He takes it. He drinks it. He pays for it. And that suffering and anguish like we've never known. And the Lord brought that to mind when I asked him and he and this statement came to my mind. Troy, I drank what was in your cup so that I could fill it with all that I am. And it'll overflow. It'll just pour out. I drank all of yours. I took it all. And now I'm pouring into yours all that I am. I'm not just your Savior, Troy. I'm your shepherd. I didn't just die and pay for your sins. I rose again. And I have provided for you and will and want to walk with you and speak to you and comfort you and restore you and fight off the enemies that you have. I want to cause your cup to overflow. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no shadow of turning. There's no changing, no shadow of turning. It's who he is. How do we end today? This is what I was asking the Lord. And I don't do this very often. I only do it if I feel a prompting to do it. This day I felt a prompting. I'm going to ask you to stand. Would you stand? And if I have some prayer partners, those who are part of the church here and you normally pray with people, would you just right now quickly make your way to the front? You know, just find a place to sit down here at the front if you're not already down. Just some prayer partners, if you do that. Okay. Now, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I believe the Lord said to do this morning. And that is just come to your shepherd. He's your Savior, but He's so much more than your Savior. 
and what he wants to do in your life. Does your soul need to be restored today? Are you cast down? You come to the shepherd. Is, is, are the irritations of life, those pesty flies and insects and all those, for the sheep that's what it was, for you it's different, for me it's different. But those irritations are about to drive you crazy, about to drive you insane. You don't know what to do. You come to the shepherd, let him anoint you with oil. Let him pour out all that he is and all that spirit is on you to supernaturally, supernaturally do something in you. You hungry today? You think, Troy, I'm spiritually hungry. I feel dry. I feel thirsty. I feel hungry. I feel famished. Come to the shepherd. Carrying a burden fearful about something that God never intends you to be he never intends you to carry it you just bring it to him now again you can pray anywhere anytime you don't have to be in any specific place you can talk to the Lord anywhere and he answers but there are times there are moments where I sense the Lord's asking us just to move just to move from where we normally would be in the position that we'd normally be in so I'm going to do two things this morning. I'm going to open up this, the steps up here as a place, as an altar, all along the front. You say, I'd like to just come kneel and pray before the Lord, just spend a little time. I want Jesus to be more than just my Savior. I, I want to experience Him as my shepherd. Just come talk to Him about it. We'll have prayer partners here, and if you're praying, you want somebody to pray with you and say, hey, I need somebody to pray with me, they're more than happy to do that. We don't want to bug you. You can just pray between you and the Lord. But we'd like to be able to pray with you. Now, you don't have to be here to pray. You can pray right where you are. But I think there is power. To, and I'll tell you, if, if I were struggling today and my heart overwhelmed, I'd let somebody pray for me. I just would. I have. I, that's what I do. I go to people and just tell them. Last week, I walked into Paul's office. He said, how are you doing? I said, I am tired. I'm weary. He said, well, let's pray. Let me pray for you. I'm not telling you to do something I don't do. I let people pray for me. If you're struggling this morning, let somebody pray for you. All right? So right now, if you want to come and pray here, we're just going to have time prayer in front. You can come. You don't have to. But if you'd like to come, kneel here and pray. If you want to pray with one of our prayer partners, they're kind of sitting here at the front. They'll be happy to pray with you. All right? You want to pray right where you are. You can do that as well. Right where you are, you can do that. But I want to tell you something don't walk out of here without responding. If the Spirit is drawing you this morning, if He's speaking, don't walk out of here without responding to Him. Please, I implore you. Lord, right now, in this place, at this time, would you cause us to come to you as our shepherd? Some have come to you as their Savior. And Lord, it's important, and we thank you that you are our Savior. But Lord, you rose to be even more than that to care for us in ways that we have no idea. I pray in this moment that we, each of us, we just, we just be obedient to you. We just surrender to you. 
right now is just as we're in an attitude of prayer. If you want to move, you can move now. You want to come here and pray. If you want to sit where you are and pray, you can do that as well.